What's up, everybody? This is Scott Lease here with my friend Richard Harris for another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. Today, we are talking to the Vice President of Global, of Global Accounts at Security Scorecard. This is a mouthful. Mr. Paul Salamanca. How you doing, Paul? Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. Richard, thank you. Uh, yeah, Global Accounts and now... Uh, Unofficially, I guess officially by tomorrow, VP of Sales for the East for Security Scorecard. So, oh, congratulations. Sounds thank like you. A little bit of a promotion. Is that a, that's a promotion, I would assume. Yeah, a little more it, responsibility. You go from global to East, is that a promotion? Global and East, I guess oh, so. Global yeah. and East. Okay, got it. Give you more shit to do with what you're hearing. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> the word sales has now entered his title. Though. That's right. Ah, got it. Yeah. Go they were, they were being very careful. They wanted to get to know me first before they tied uh, sales to my name. So I think they trust me now. I don't understand how I keep ending up on a podcast with two people from the University of Arizona. It's You're a lucky man, dude. A master plan of Richard's, I think. <laughs> all the guests you you know i guess you need to go and pull up but just search for asu people scott there's this thing called linkedin sales navigator you don't even have to pay for the simplest version and you could just search <laughs> but again as an asu as an asu sun devil i know i have to educate you on these things maybe maybe the sun devils are uh, are not as good at sales as the wildcats because we keep running into so many wildcats i don't understand it well tell everybody what you do at your uh, at your current gig Paul, so there's, there's context of what your sale is like and the experience that you have. Sure. So let me start with the company first, Security Scorecard. We, um, we rate companies based on their security posture with external data. So um, A, B, C, D, F. And what we see is companies that have a C or lower are almost five times more likely to have a breach. So when companies are doing business with thousands and thousands of vendors, they literally only have about a half a dozen people to, man to monitor these vendors. And most of the breaches happen because of your third party. So if someone's looking to get into Apple, for example, Apple pretty much has their house in order. So they're going to look for the weakest link, which is one of Apple's vendors. Um, so without our data, it's very tough to prioritize time. Um, so what I do initially started as the VP of global accounts, there's, uh, the fortune 150, uh, that have, you know, reps and, and directors and VPs tied to those strategic accounts would go in and spend a lot of just adding more focus to those accounts. Um, and then now with the, uh, role of the, the East, pretty much, uh, any account that rolls and any enterprise account across the East coast. You know, you've, you've been a VP of sales in some capacity or another a number of times now, right? It must be like four, four or five times, it looks like. Um, what is changing about the role in your mind every time that you take on one of these jobs? Companies are looking for, I don't know if they're looking for, but it's, it, it's becoming a little more apparent that those VPs that are um, better coaches that can get roll up their sleeves a little bit more uh, tend to gain the respect a lot quicker um, and see a lot more um, success quicker um, than those. And it depends on the size of the company too. So I'm, I'm talking more about startups. Yeah, it's a more, more early stage. Yeah. Um, 
so I, I feel like when I came into this company and other roles, um, and it's a balancing act too, you don't want to sell for the team. Luckily at, at this company, the, the talent here is, is exceptional. Um, so it's finding that balance of, okay, I see areas where we can improve as a team, but then how do I go about demonstrating that with feeling like I'm trying to take over the deal? Um, and there's some, there's some VPs that actually don't want to do that at all and maybe get numbers and spreadsheets. And there's nothing wrong with that if, if it's that type of company. Um, but that's, that's what I've been seeing so far. And, you know, we all know that the, the average lifespan, if you will, of a VP of sales is 15 to 18 months or so. Crazy. You've, you've lived a couple of those experiences. Can you, oh, yeah. talk, can you talk about what happened there and what, and what it's like and, and share, share some perspective for people who maybe are, you know, in that role and are wondering if it's going to happen to them or people who might want to go into the VP of sales role and, have heard this, but don't exactly know what it's like. Can you talk to us about what those experiences have been like for you? Absolutely. So uh, there are many times where you get into a company and you feel very optimistic about everything. And then once you start, put the wheels in motion, you realize, okay, the idea is great. Product is good. But um, what we're trying to, the product market fit may not be there. It has a lot to do with timing. Maybe the talent on your team isn't what you expect. Um, so it takes, a, there's a lot of things out of your control where uh, it becomes very difficult to now assess the team that you have and then meet the expectations of your CEO and the board uh, to hit board numbers when you're also trying to ramp up, figure out if there's actually a product market fit. Um, so it's, it's, do I grow and going back to our, our baseball hats, do you properly grow a team with the farm system, bringing in free agents, and are you afforded that time to do that properly? Or do you look to cut corners just so you could have a shot at hitting your quarterly numbers, which may be still out of line? Yeah. And on this quarterly number front, I don't know if you've found this to be true, so I'll be, I'll be curious or not, but um, I've found it to be true. One of the hardest things and one of the things that doesn't get talked about enough about being a VP of sales, I think, especially at an early stage company, is putting together a model and putting together a forecast of what you're gonna produce. So example, you show up, you get this gig at security scorecard. They might say to you, theoretically, hey, give me your forecast for 2021. And you've gotta get within like 90, 95% accuracy of this. Yep right? How do you approach building out a sales model like that and forecasting that far ahead for an unproven product or maybe not unproven, maybe that's the wrong word, but you know, something that has yet to scale, right? That's, that's the difficulty. And it, it doesn't apply to security scorecard. I have a chief revenue officer. Um, we're, we're, we're really running fast, luckily still able to grow during the pandemic. Um, and I'm learning a lot from him where we have a number two, but he does a really great job of resetting expectations. And his forecast is a forecast. Whatever it is, he's committing to a number that he feels comfortable with, and then it rolls down to us. But I've been in a situation where day one, I have a number, and I'm figuring out, does the product even work? Um, and you don't know that until a couple of months in that, uh, what we're talking about is probably um, a, a roadmap 
you know, some, an item on the roadmap that could happen in Q4 and you just find yourself in that situation. And that's, you know, that's a tough situation to be in where now you're trying to reset expectations internally where those expectations have been set maybe uh, differently to the board. Um, and that's, that's out of your control. So my question to you, Scott, is how do you handle that situation? It's, it's almost a, and Richard too, um, at that point, I just have to hold true to, to what I feel like is doable and realistic, hold true to uh, growing the sales team the right way, hold true to growing the business the right way, developing the talent. And um, there's sometimes where you know, this is probably not going to work out well for me in, you know, in six to eight months, but at least I feel good about doing things the right way. Do you, so for me, that part of that comes down to just the relationship between you and the CRO. Um, you know, my answer to that question is, look, you know, I'm, I'm 49% of my CRO. My wife is 51%. So um, there's a lot of conversations that are very heated and, you know, um, I do not want to get fired from my role <laughs> uh, for lots of reasons. So I better be good at it. Uh, but on, on a more serious note, that relationship's important, right? How do you, particularly at this stage that you're talking about, how do you feel like you know you have a good relationship with the CRO, right? Because there's got to be a lot of like, well, here's what I think and here's what I think and here's, you know, how do you do that other than just straight up dialogue? Um, so one thing I would, I would say is luckily in my position now, um, I'm dealing with someone who is very well versed at sales. It's so we're speaking the same language. We're, we're on the same page when we're one person's not being overly, um, I guess, uh, unrealistic than the other. So it's easier to have that conversation. I think when where the challenge comes in is many startups, you have a CEO or founders that um, aren't really in sales or haven't been in sales and they have an idea of what the number should be, or they have an idea of how the sales process should be run. Um, and then that becomes a lot trickier. So luckily I'm not in that situation right now. Ah, let's talk about that situation because Scott's been in that one a hundred times. Oh, so, really? I've never heard about that situation before. Really? So, um, I'm very but, uh, quiet about this. I don't share my opinion on it very much. So, but, <laughs> but, uh, but also, Scott's also made sure not to burn bridges too. So, um, what, what advice do you give to people? Suppose you find people who are in that situation where it's a young, hot company. You do have a CEO who's maybe the tech founder, right? Or maybe more operationally driven or marketing driven and less just doesn't have that experience of quote unquote, carrying the bag. How do you communicate to those leaders or how would you communicate to those leaders at, at that phase? I would communicate more than normal. Um, you know, with details and I, I would just um, focus on, on over communicating because eventually you, they would, they would either realize that you are not the right person because they don't think you can do what they believe is possible, or they will start to realize that um, maybe there is some merit to what Paul is saying. Maybe we should be looking at things a little bit differently or maybe our, our goals are a little too unrealistic. Um, so I would say over communicate with the CEO, but also understand, I mean, the CEO's job is to, to push, to push you to, and to, 
um, and to make you stretch, you know, stretch things. Um, so I could see that too, but Richard, it's not easy, man. It's a tough, very tough situation. Um, and I'm trying to not divulge too much information about my past, but I mean, there, there are other situations where product was great or the product was great. And it's just a funding situation where, um, one company was struggling to get funding and we had orders, but it was, um, you know, the order was dependent on this product to be released and my sales job and the team and the sales job of the team became coming up with excuses on why we couldn't deliver the product. And the more we came up with an excuse, the more they wanted to buy. So that became a big problem. Um, so there's so many different things. So now when I look at, I want to ask this, so I'm going to pause. Yep. Was product or engineering not hitting their deadlines? Correct. And did any of them get fired? Wait, did they get fired? Wait, 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 Richard, hold on. Did somebody else just say that product didn't hit a deadline? I think, I think I heard that. Yes. That never happens. The first time somebody has publicly agreed with a sentence of mine. So did they get fired? Of course not. Did you? Um, did we separate I, I, kindly? So in that situation, I left because they ran out of money or they're running out of money. But um, essentially, they, they couldn't afford to pay me. Right. But yeah, it wasn't a good situation. And apparently, they couldn't afford to pay the right product, the right engineers or enough engineers to get the product out on time. Right. That's exactly right. So. Um, that's a tough situation. So I mean, what, what happens, what Rich, what hap, Rich, what happens when you you tell a prospect, and these are large companies, um, sorry, your order isn't big enough. We, we're we're trying to meet a demand. Okay, we'll double our order. Now, what do you say to them? That became my sales job. Now, right. what do you say to them? <laughs> to buy time? I I say, here's my CEO's cell phone number. <laughs> I literally have to go to the CEO and say, look, there's there is no painting this. Let me. I will give you a much deeper, deeper, darker. I concept. I used to run classified ads for, for alt weekly newspapers and not alt like far right alt, like the cool hip newspaper, the guardian, the, the village voice, that kind of stuff. And, you know, we had ads for massage, right? And you can imagine what would happen when people would call in to complain, right? Like I, you know, at some point I just sort of ran out of excuses. Look, you got to just got to call, go call the owner, go call the publisher. And my owner would say, well, why, why, do, why are you sending these to me? And I'm like, cause I'm tired of answering it. Like, this isn't my problem. <laughs> You've asked me to sell it. I've, I've taken the rates up, you know, I've made more profitability for this organization off this stuff than anybody could imagine. And, you know, like, I'm not going to put up with this. Like you can't have it both ways. That's and right. uh, now fast forward. Now they're, they're actually, federally indicted. I'm not involved in that, which is kind of cool. Um, but it is, <laughs> is uh, they, they're under federal indictment and, and going to go to trial for all kinds of shit. So, um, you know, it, it happens, man. It happens everywhere. So that's, that's what I do. I'm like, look, I can't control that. Scott, what do you do? I don't know. Oh, what do you say to the I, customer. I've, I've really only been in this position one time and, and like Paul, I ended up leaving, you know, I, in my situation, we had deals that we basically had had closed and, and uh, the head of product and the CEO wouldn't ship the product because they were worried that it wasn't going to work. And, you know, like, what have, what have I been doing for the last six months building right. a pipeline and trying to close? What do you mean 
you know, it's not ready and doesn't work. So yeah, I, I, I hightailed it out of there and lesson learned got a lot better in the subsequent interviews that I went through to make sure I never put myself in that situation again. And uh, it's one of the reasons why I'm pretty public about this kind of thing happening and try to protect others so they don't run into that situation, you know, and deal with it like the way, the way that I did and the way Paul had to deal with it. Yeah, I actually put out 32,000 of my own money because I, I, I thought we were getting funding and um, never got it back. So I, I supported, I, I, I helped support payroll because we, it was an overseas company and in the US, uh, we were using, um, I forget the payroll provider. It was like a Trinet or something. And then they, I got an email basically saying, hey, uh, there's not enough in the account. You have to, you know, provide the rest by a certain date. Otherwise, we won't pay payroll. So I said, guys, um, I will float it because I know you're quote unquote getting this funding soon. And I got wow. everything in writing, never got it back. So that's, and then you realize, dude, I, I had such a, um, I had such a negative feeling towards that situation for, for a long time. And it was just, it, it was, I, I told myself I could either hold this with me or just move on. And I had to move on because then I, I, at that point I went back to just being a rep for a more stable company, well-funded, good product. And I just had to worry about myself and it felt like such a relief to just not worry about anything else. And all I had to do was sell and sell well. And I really did. I became the top salesperson within the first six months there for the, for the next two, three years. But then that became boring. It almost became too routine. Um, so I wanted to get back into, into management, which I did, um, you know, my, my next job after that. I hope the people that you supported with your own money for payroll are extremely loyal to you to till this day. That, that's an incredible story of, of leadership and taking care of your people right there that you're willing to, to do that. So I hope that they would, I hope that they're either still working for you or they would run through a brick wall for you because I know I, I know I would if somebody did that for me. Yeah. And the, the thing is, I don't, I don't even think I told them until after the fact right? until after I left. Well, that makes it even better. Yeah. Because then, then yeah. they start to wonder, do we not have enough money to pay payroll, which we didn't. So yeah. I, I didn't want that circulating either. Um, yeah. But to me as, as coming in, Scott, Richard, you, you guys know, as being an entrepreneur, you, you want to show that you believe in the dream. I believed in the vision too. So um, yeah. I will never do that again. Yeah. Ever. Lesson, lesson learned there. Shifting, yeah. shifting gears here for a second. And this is relevant because um, Richard and I are doing this, but talk to us a little bit about the podcast that you have with Tom and, and like why you're doing that and what in general is the benefit for a sales leader to be hosting their own podcast from your perspective. You're an operator full-time right now. You got a full-time gig. You work for a company. You're not working for yourself, but you're also running this podcast. What's the, what's the benefit in your mind? So um, I'll be completely transparent. So about a year ago, I started, I started posting on LinkedIn one sales tip a day, and I started building a following. Um, that became a second job that be I felt like obligated to post every day, not only post, but now you had to respond to everyone's comments. You felt bad not doing that. Um, yeah. but there were a lot of people to the choir there. Yeah. We get, we get, yeah, totally. 
Um, but it's still, there was something about it that, okay, I have, I have this following now that I enjoy engaging with, but I don't want to post every single day anymore. And I'm getting bored of doing this. And I think eventually, ideally, it can lead to a passive stream of income for me down the road. I don't know how yet, but I feel like there's something good going on here and it just feels good, but I don't want to post anymore. So the thought is let's do a show um, once a week that you can have maybe a ton of content just on one show alone and get people to, um, you know, cut it up and, and put it online. And that's, and that's what I, I'm, my life is so much happier now. Like I feel this huge burden off my, my shoulders by not feeling like I have to post every single day. And then it got to the point where after a couple of episodes, we're like, yeah, sales is cool to talk about. I enjoy it. But I want to get to know who Scott Lease is. I want to get to know who, you know, Amy Volos is, who Richard is, right? So I, I, I feel like let's get to know, and Scott, your episode was awesome. So what we're doing now is just taking your stories on what has made you successful because nobody hears about that. Maybe you're an exception because your story probably is the best story I've ever heard in my life when you were in the hospital for four years in the hospital bed. I even asked Richard, I asked him a question. I said, well, were you walking down the hallway? What were you doing to exercise? He's like, Paul, I don't think you get it, man. I could not leave my bed uh, for four years. So it's, it's taking that. And I feel like, especially today, there are a lot of people out of work, a lot of people where their backs are against the wall and everybody has had a story where they thought maybe they weren't going to make it, but somehow they did. And what I'm learning now uh, is that everybody has a little bit of a different way of approaching that situation, similar, but different mindset. And if, if our viewers and audience can pick up a couple of things that can help them maybe persevere through this unemployment period that they're going through, or um, maybe they're not hitting quota and they don't know if they're going to get fired. So just building that top 1% or mentality is, is what we're doing. And it's fun. Man, I enjoy learning more about people. I purposely did not hear your story, Scott, just so I could genuinely be interested and ask you a ton of, ton of so, questions. So, um, Scott, could you imagine not posting on LinkedIn anymore? I imagine it all the time, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I totally get this pain. I've talked about it before. There are times where I just don't post for days in a row because I can't handle it. Like, I right. can't handle all the messages. And, you know, I think Paul used the word obligation, maybe. Um, that's what it feels like, you know? It's, 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 it's even more than just the, the pressure to, to come up with some kind of interesting content, you know? It's a, it's a, it's a job, man. So sometimes I, I end up being very streaky with it, you know? I do a lot, and then I back off quite a bit. But I, yeah. I imagine not doing it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but would you do? But would you do that? Would you walk away? Well, no. It makes no sense for me right now to walk away <clears throat> with what I do because ninety plus percent of my business is probably driven in some way or another from the network that I've built and established on on LinkedIn. So it would be it would be foolish. So, Paul, know? when you let's say you do go and, and turn this other thing into a business. You think you'll go back? Go back to posting? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, if that was my, if that was my business, I would say, yeah. Um, I, if I it was generating leads and interest and growing my, 
growing my business. It's free advertising. How do you, how do you grow your podcast without speaking about it publicly there? Since it's, that's where your, you know, that's where your fish are for you to go fishing. Or have you just been like, screw it, we're just going to do what we can. And when people hear about it, they'll hear about it. Or have you gone down the Facebook or Instagram route? Like there's, it's a very different approach than what Scott and I do in terms of talking about how to build our brands. Yeah. So uh, video is not getting a lot of uh, attention these days on LinkedIn. So it took me a little while to get used to only seeing like a, a fraction of the engagement and likes on videos, but I will trade that for peace of mind and comfort. Um, and, and now we take clips of the top 1% or show, put it on LinkedIn. So people are hearing about it. Um, and that's what we're doing. And then, and then eventually as we, as we, Scott's episode didn't even come out yet, but we're having editors bring his story to life, bring other people's story to life. And the more people start watching that, I think the more people will come on. And it's not so much the live. Live is great because it feels great to interact with people live. Um, but I think the finished product is yet to be seen. Let's hope, let's hope that my episode gets released because I'm convinced that there's some place that podcast episodes and, and, all this like recordings and everything, they just go to die. There's like a multiverse somewhere where they just hang out for a while. You know, I've given my buddy Morgan a lot of shit about this and a bunch of people piled on him because he recorded a bunch of episodes with some of us a long time ago and they never came out. And I, I, I like lose, I've lost track. You know what I mean? I, I, I was just sitting here thinking, did my episode come out on Paul's show yet? I don't think it did. No. no it didn't. I hope it I hope, it I, hope, I, hope, I hope it comes out. I hope it comes yeah, but we, we want to do it. We want to give it justice to it. We don't want to just put something out where, I mean, uh, we, have, we have a dry run of your show that we're not happy with. We just want to make it really, really good. I appreciate, I appreciate that. They, they, he has the exact opposite approach as us, Richard. Absolutely. Which is fascinating. Absolutely. Which is fascinating. <laughs> Right. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's all about consumptionally good data and depends on what consumption means and video and audio and all that stuff. So, um, but the video is a long tail play, right? Like, I think that's a, a, you know, that's where the millennials and the Gen Z's go. They don't Google stuff anymore. They YouTube it almost naturally. So if they're going to look for sales advice, you know, and you're, you're under 35, the question is, are, are you, are you looking for a, a white paper or a blog post or are you looking for a YouTube video? Yeah. Right. With a couple of snippets. Right. Um, so it's, it's an interesting long-term play. So we're, um, we're pivoting kind of away from the sales on the show and it's more about mindset and uh, resilience and um, you know, people's personal story getting to know, you don't get to see people's hard, hard times that they've been through to be successful. Yeah. Is that, is that a common yep. thread running through all your episodes, Paul? Yep, yep. Resiliency and things, things like that, yeah. Yeah, we call it, we call it a top one percenter mentality. Yep. Well, it's, it's interesting because Scott and I have had this conversation. For me, my best posts always go more viral when I talk about when I'm vulnerable, right? I talk about my depression or mental health or any of those kinds of things, right? People, people gravitate to that stuff because it's real. Um, and, and even just regular posts, like they, they sort of want to be told what's wrong, right? They want to hear the negative in a, but spin it into a positive in the end. So it's, there's definitely a, a mentality to it yeah. all. So um, 
it's really love to really have you on the show so. start to to balance out the good guys versus bad guys we had max and scott asu guys on, on the show so just to warm just to warm it up those were appetizers richard and then we'll get some new yeah, guys on. scott is scott is always the bad guy i always make scott the bad guy and then what ends up happening is he comes out the good guy like scott's the guy this is i have a cousin like this but scott could listen listen scott you haven't heard this one you're going to tweet this out in a little bit i'm ready scott scott's the guy who could literally fall into the biggest pile of shit and come out smelling like beautiful roses. <laughs> like that is just Scott to a T. Um, and if you, by the way, it's Paul, if you haven't gone to see uh, for his birthday, I interviewed his mom and his dad and his brother uh, on a podcast episode um, without Scott knowing that was the birthday episode for him. And so if you really want to hear a little bit about Scott um, and just sort of hear, was he always like the way he is um, and, or how did he become this way or what was he like as a kid? It's, what, what episode one. was that? So, I don't remember. Remember the number. I don't even know which one. I was hundred, like right around one hundred or one hundred one. Okay, yeah. I'll check it out. Can you give me a little uh, highlight of of what people were saying? Was he similar? Or is he... Uh, it's, it's, what's interesting? What's interesting? Let me let me just put it to you this way. This, this and I and Scott, tell me if I get this part right. Is that um, his mom said at one point? He had the most beautiful long blonde <laughs> hair, and she said it just like that. Yes. So you you take it I'm from so there in terms of how this so conversation important. was. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel like I feel like a thirteen year old boy sitting here again right now. Oh, that's awesome, dude. I don't want the, the, the biggest mistake. I, the biggest mistake I made. The biggest mistake I made is that I actually Scott's wife and my wife are really good friends, and. We all sat down and I, I did a screen share and we watched it together, the That's four of us. Awesome. And just to see, and Scott really, I mean, you know, yes, it was funny, but it was very touching and warm and, and there was a lot of love. But it, I wish I'd recorded Scott watching it um, as well as when we would pause the video to talk about something because he would clarify something. For us <laughs> uh, it's I, great. I totally blew it. That would have been a great so, show right there. That would have been awesome. The behind yeah, the scene chatter. Yeah. Yeah. You're a good friend, yeah. Richard. Sure. That's really nice of you, man, to do that. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Cool. So, so anyway, I'm not going to tell you any more about it. You've got to go listen to I it. Will. It's too good not to and listen. If you don't mind, if it's if, if, if it's okay with the copyright, uh, if it's not copyright infringement, I will take some of those and put them in, into the top 1%er episode that he did. I'm sure he would love that. That'll only delay the, his video, his podcast by another six weeks, which will only infuriate. <laughs> That's right. Him. So I'm more than happy to do that. Yeah. Feel free. In January by the time my my episode comes out. All right. So, so. here, I'll, I'll make a commitment. All right, Scott. What today's August thirteenth? Yeah. And by September thirteenth, your thing will be up and cranking. Okay. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> well, I want to talk to you a little bit about. Um, you know, your take on, on mentorship and, uh, and coaching and, and just helping the community grow. Um, I know you're, you know, active with Revenue Collective and Bravado and things like that. Um, what are some of the areas that you're currently trying to be the most impactful, like areas of opportunity to help people in the community um, get better? It, right now, it wasn't my intention. My intention is to help people who want to get to the elite as far as it being a sales rep um, and help with network, help with negotiating their 
agreement helping with with that type of stuff because i feel like people that are really good it doesn't take a lot to get them to be great they just have to know what to do but right now i'm spending a lot of my 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 time coaching around ways to help people find jobs and uh, maybe transition from an sdr to an account executive or account executive to to an enterprise rep and that's all you know uh, volunteer work um, but it's given, right. given me a good feel for um what people want, what's the most value. Uh, do you have, do you have any, any unique strategies there that you're telling people right now who are, who are looking for work or maybe even more interesting, somebody who's like, has a role, is doing pretty well, wants to get promoted or, or, or get a raise, but is trying to like also show that they're grateful to even, you know, be employed and not take that for granted. What are, what are some of the tips and tricks that you're giving people right now? So, um, for the, for, for first, for the people who are looking for a new job, I'm trying to help them any way possible to, to make them realize that even because when you're selling something, that's easy to take rejection because it's not against you personally. When you're in an interview selling yourself and you keep hearing, no, 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 eventually that, it's going to take a toll um, to let them know that it's not really them. And if you are getting a no, just know that it's probably for the best. And there's an even better opportunity around the corner. Just stay positive, stay focused. And in the meantime, what can I do to help this person generate some sort of income on the, uh, you know, on the side? So I helped uh, somebody get a consulting gig where they're getting two, three grand extra a month uh, to help set up appointments for a financial advisor. Um, for, for another person, I brought him onto the show and we talked about, you know, all the creative things he was doing. He created, uh, this guy Ryan was creating a ton of videos that were so creative and, and that got me to talk to him. And once I started talking to him, I realized like, wow, this guy has a lot of substance to him. He's really sharp. So we brought him on the show and today I just saw on LinkedIn um, that, that he got a job. So, I mean, that's great. Just, um, I'm sure it's not just because of that video, but anything I could do to help um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get creative to, to find ways to help. And you want me to answer your, your last question about if someone's got a job and looking to get promoted. So, um, that's tough during a, that's tough during a pandemic. Um, it's true, but I think, I feel like that's, <clears throat> that's a lot of advice that, um, people are seeking right now. You know, they're like, I get people reach out to me and they're like, Scott, I get it's a pandemic. You know, I feel lucky to be employed and have health benefits still. But look, man, like I've been killing it in my current role. Uh, you know, I'm worth this on the open market. I've got recruiters coming after me. I really don't want to leave. How do I go ask for a raise right now? You know, so I, I want to know what I want to know what you think about that. What you're telling people. What I would do in that scenario, if it was me, what I would do would be to first let my company know that I'm willing to take on more responsibility. I want to be here long-term. Is there any way for me to do that and be compensated accordingly? And knowing that they'll go back and think about it and probably not bring it up, do that once or twice. Um, but in the meantime, if you really are getting hit up by a lot of recruiters, explore the market and see what's out there. Um, and then depending on, the type of offers you think you could get, go get them. And um, so if you're not getting that feedback from your own company, go see, maybe you won't get any offers 
or maybe the offers that you get sound good until you start digging in and you realize my position. There were times where I was interviewing for other companies and I'm like, man, I'm really in a great spot um, where you could say you're making more money, but the amount of pipeline that I built up over the years and everything like that doesn't make sense to leave. Um, and then if push came to shove, go back to my employer and say, I really want to stay here. I have a couple of options, but this is the place I want to stay. Can we make it work? So you leave would, it up to them. You would leverage these new opportunities? As a last resort. Yep. As a last resort. Scott, would you? What, or would you be like, I'm out of here? I don't even, if they can't figure this out without me asking. I would, I would, I would, def, I would definitely leverage them. <clears throat> um, I, would, I was curious how Paul was going to answer that. What I want to know now is, how do you leverage it? How do you leverage it respectfully without pissing somebody off? Or, or is there nothing you can do? You just leverage it and you might piss somebody off no matter what. Be true. Uh, the best way is for me to say, I want to stay here. Can we make this work? This is what I need. This is what I'm getting. I don't necessarily need to get that much, but if we could get closer to that or if we could do something different, I want to stay here. And if they're not willing to meet it, that, I mean, that's a good test. How bad do they want you to stay? I, I think there's a couple other thoughts to that too, is that um, one, if I'm going to stay, I'm going to ask for that plus more an extra 10% because if I leave, they're going to lose so much in terms of ramp time and finding the next person and all these things. You also have to be willing to understand too, that if you decide to take what they offer you and stay, then at some point, somewhere in the next six months, if things go south, you're going to get railed. We gave, we took care of you, blah, blah, blah. Even if you miss by one month, it's kind of like, yep. You know, it's going to happen. So you need to be prepared for that. And the last thing is you also, if you're going to go have this conversation, you got to be willing to walk. Like if you're not willing to, it's just like any other sales. If you're not, if you're not willing to walk, then that's where your weakness will be. Right. And you do have to take into a lot of account, whether it's pandemic or family or health insurance or, you know, mortgages and rent and all these kinds of things. So you got to have to sort of look at it. The best way to do it, the best way to leverage this is you got to break down the numbers, not the salary. In fact, the salary is probably the least important piece in terms of what you need to focus on. In my opinion, you got to focus on your value. Here's what I do. Here's what I did. Here's where we're projecting me to be. That's what I'm worth. And by the way, we know it's a six month ramp time if I leave. Right. Yeah, so yeah. you lose six months. So that's why I'm worth what they're asking plus 10 or 15 percent more. Right. And then you also get to say, look, I go take this, you know, 10 years from now that extrapolates, you know, if it's 20 grand, it's not about the 20 grand right now. It's about the, well, that 20 grand helps me negotiate another one in two or three years and another one. So you're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars in income over the course of your own lifetime value. And yep. so if you can position it that way, that's your position of strength. Now you've got to deliver the message probably a little light, nicer than I'm delivering it here a better tone. This is where Scott's better at it than me. Um, but ultimately that's what you're trying to do. And if they can't buy in, then, you know, I mean, you got to make sure it's the right company you want to go to. Don't just go for the salary. Don't just chase it. Make sure you like the product, the service, you trust them, all those things. But that's how I see it. That, and by the way, that's how you get to the top 1%. That's yep. what top one percenters know how to do is they know how to leverage this in a polite way and see it as this, not my current salary this year or next year. It's well, what about in five years and in 10 years and in 20 years. Yep. 
And uh, I think you, you highlighted a really good point. You have to make sure that that's the right company for you. You don't want to get stuck in, in a situation that we were talking about earlier where they're struggling to get funding, know what questions to ask, what round of funding they have, uh, the executive team, what's the turnover like, talk to the sales reps. And the VP is going to put some good sales reps in front of you that's going to tell you a nice story, but ask them a ton of questions. I almost made a mistake. I almost took a job where – um, I wanted to make sure that the top guys and, and ladies were earning at least seven figures um, and they had a couple. So then I started drilling in and it sounded good until I realized like, okay, after a while, man, salespeople, they will just open up and they'll start to tell you their frustrations. And they said, yeah, this is, this was a monster deal that I got paid a lot on, but I'm spending now 90% of my time just making sure that they're happy when I should be going out and hunting for new business. And I started asking, well, how did you get that deal? Tell me, well, this deal was being worked on before I even got here two years ago and before that. So this one deal, four other reps were working before this guy actually came on board and closed it. So the chances of me coming onto this company and doing that within a year, every year, are very slim. And then I started asking other reps about that. And I realized, yeah, that's, that's an anomaly. Um, it just happened, two or three people happened to hit it that year, but it took four or five years to get there. I've, I've asked before, just to see the reaction on the, on the person's face, I've, I have, I've literally said, yeah, I'll talk to them, but I want to talk to a mediocre rep and your worst rep. Exactly. Like, right? Like, and and the, the look of horror on the head of sales face when you ask for that is very indicating of like, okay, well, now he knows I'm going to undercover stuff, and then I'm going to come back and ask you this stuff. So, yep. you know. It's, you can you can you can mitigate that a little bit by just saying look I, I would love to talk to a couple different reps i'd love to talk to somebody who's killing it right now i'd love to talk to somebody who's like on again off again and i'd love it if i could talk to somebody who's struggling to kind of just learn the differences uh you know between the three obviously i want to model myself after the person who's doing really well um but i think that would be really helpful so i think that's that's a that's a gentle way to you know, get access to those folks. I think that, like I agree. That's better at this than I am. Like that's yeah. No, I I agree. Tenure is important too. So not only performance, yeah. but tenure. Talking yeah, to somebody that's yeah. been there for six months, and then talking to somebody that's been there for for a couple of years, and you have to meet in the middle. The person there for for a long time is probably you know tired of doing the same old things. Well, you know, the person with six months is still in the honeymoon phase. Yeah. Well, what can we do to, to, to help and support you, Paul? Is there any questions that you want to ask us or anything you want to kind of shout out as we wrap up here? Um, no, we already plugged the Top 1%er show Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern. It's Zoom private. It's kind of a small knit community. Um, so I appreciate that. Um, I mean, so thinking a couple of moves ahead, if you were me and you were going down this course, everything feels right. And this, I'm very happy my job. I'm fully focused on my current situation, but knowing that you have this going on in the side, how would you parlay this into um, maybe a side income or another business that you, may, you could use as a launching pad down the road? Well, those are, those are two different things. So, so the long play is your, you and Thomas are, are building something that, um, is valuable that people show up to people want to be a part of and, and this has become part of your brand and will continue to become 
a stronger part of your brand and, and that is who you are and that will outlive whatever your current role is right now. So you're already doing it. Um, as far as like monetizing these things, you know, there's particular metrics and numbers that people want to, you know, see. They, you know, they want to know how many people uh, show up to your event. They want to know how many people download your podcast episodes, right? Um, they want to know how many subscribers you have in this. But if you if you're if you're consistent with it, and uh, you know the the audience is is growing, there there's ample opportunity there for you to generate income and generate revenue. And I think one thing to keep in mind is like it's worth it to me if I can pay one bill off of whatever I'm doing. That's how I think about it. Like it's in terms of bills. Like does this pay my cell phone bill? Okay, that's you know 150 bucks a month. Sweet, got that taken <laughs> care of, right? Did this pay my groceries? Oh, that's like 500 bucks a month. Holy shit, the one percenter show paid for my groceries this month. That's amazing, yep. Yep. right? The next phase is maybe, you know, it covers your rent or your mortgage or whatever, right? And, and so I look at it like that. Like I'm not looking for, I'm not looking at it in terms of, is this little side hustle, this podcast gonna replace, you know, all of my income? No, I'm looking for it to cover a couple bills that I have. Um, and that, that's how I think about it, you know, whether it's Thursday night sales or the surf and sales podcast or the surf and sales events that we run or the Patreon community that I have or the book sales that, that I get. These are all just like paying particular bills. Yep. And then the main gig is the main gig. Yep. And what's your main gig? It's consulting, coaching. Well, yeah, Scott, what is your main gig? I still don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I help companies go from zero to 25, you know, yeah. and it's, it's really that, that simple. So uh, I spend time with founders and, and, you know, co-founder maybe. And if there is a head of sales in there, um, I just help make sure that they've got a solid foundation in place to be able to, to, to sell and to, and to scale out their, uh, their sales organization. Um, and that main gig is my main gig. That's the one that brings in the majority of my, you know, income, right? I don't think about that gig as like paying bills. I think about that as like, this is what I earn. Yeah. Right? But the side stuff I think of in terms of these little milestones, you know, you know what I mean? What do you Good think? Point. What do you think, Richard? So, um, so my main gig is different, right? It's, it's training, right? And, and I've just, you know, I just literally today just announced the five week training and reinforcement program. And I uh, am building out some of these side things on in correlation to that, which all acts as a funnel back to the main thing. Right. Um, so I'm going to, you know, I'm actually going to have to stop a couple of things and start a couple of new things. So I'm in the process of doing that. Scott doesn't even know about it yet. So I'm going to, wait and talk to him offline and surprise him uh, his mom and dad. I'm going to have them to deliver the message for me. So, um, but uh, so those, but so I, you know, I do a Patreon thing and I do, you know, my LinkedIn stuff and I've got the surf and sales show and I've got that and I've got a, a new process. I'm more, a new thing I'm going to start trying. Um, you know, we've got sponsors, you know, on the podcast, which I think is an important thing um, over time uh, to be able to have that. So, um, 
So th those are the places that I, I do. So I, I, I try to follow Scott's model. He's way more disciplined and successful at it than I am. That's his mindset. Um, and so he's, you know, he, he collects people differently than I do. So um, I have always called them his disciples. So some of this stuff <laughs> becomes easier for Scott than it does for me. You sound like a serial killer. All I can think about is the bone collector right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've heard me tell I, you've heard me say this about you, man. So, um, and speaking, uh, of, speaking of our sponsors, Richard, you ready? You ready for me to shout out our sponsor, yeah. Lead 411? Yeah. By all means. Lead 411 is our sponsor for, uh, for today's episode. For all your leads and data needs, stay on top of what your prospects are up to. Lead411.com got you covered. That was a great segue. Great Not segue. Not bad. I I, I'm improving. I'm improving. Yeah. It, was, yeah. it, was, it was so bad, Paul, uh, that, that the, the founder uh, went and – and hired one of those deep voice, you know, movie guys <laughs> to read. Yeah, it's hilarious, dude. We we played it once on one episode. Uh, we need to start playing it a little bit more, but it's really really fun. So because Scott awesome. used to butcher it, so it was a lot of fun. I just like I like to say it with like a radio voice, you know. Right. Punch out, right. Punch out real quick. All, all I can say is that when we when we interviewed my twelve year old, we let my son twelve my son who's twelve Riley actually do it, and uh, and he sounded better than Scott. So you know. <laughs> well, I I will say the segue was was picture perfect. Yeah. I appreciate that, Paul. I, my trend, it's good to know my transitions are still, uh, you know, on point. So. And speaking about appreciating, I really appreciate both of you having me on the show. How was that? Oh, that was well done. See what he did there? That's really good. That was a nice transition really as well. Really so. All right, buddy. Thanks for Hey, Paul, thanks so much, man. Likewise. Take care. Bear All down. Right. Bear down, baby.